You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey people, how are you doing? Welcome to episode 168 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. My name is Matt Phillips, creative of Live.com. And as always, this episode is being recorded live on a Tuesday at eight o'clock on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. In this very special episode, we bring you a live panel debate with the title, The Changing Face of Qualifications, Who Can We Trust? Um, on the panel, we have education leaders in the therapy industry who are going to talk about the current qualification structure, looking at topics such as course levels, accreditation, awarding organization validity, and so on. But before we get to that, welcome to people who have joined us live. If you have joined us live, you're welcome to ask our illustrious panel questions tonight. I can bring your question up on the screen. For example, Lauren's here. Hey, Lauren, how are you doing? Um, if you listen to podcasts and all that's happening now is I'm bringing up people's images and questions onto the screen. So it's a great way of sharing your thoughts, asking questions. Evening, Matt says, new lease sports therapy, Gary Newbold. How are you doing? Um, Michael O'Neill is here. How are you doing? Imi Tester is here, the marvellous Imi Tester, um, who I'm just rating so much this week to people. Leslie Campbell's here. Hey, Leslie from the Scottish uh, Massage Group on Facebook. Glad you could join us. Cecily Hislop is here. And people are just st steaming through. Fantastic. A lovely response. We really appreciate you people joining us live because it uh, just just makes all the difference. It spurs us on. And before we do bring up uh, the panel for tonight, I just want to say thank you to last week's guest, um, who is the wonderful Lucy Gilbanks, who as part of our lead up to Therapy Expo, Lucy Gilbanks is an ex-international athlete and published researcher of relative energy deficiency in sport, Red S. Um, and Lucy's going to be joining us at this year's Therapy Expo in our Sports Therapy Association ACA STA Theatre at 10 a.m. on day one, presenting relative energy deficiency in sport, what therapists need to know. Um, episode 167 of that with Lucy Gilbanks talking about her presentation is available as always on all popular podcast apps, including Spotify. And of course, if you want to see the video, then just go to YouTube where all the recordings are as well. We'll be continuing after this episode with the lead up to Therapy Expo, and we'll have details of that at the end of the podcast. Right then, back to tonight, the changing face of qualifications. Who can we trust? We have a selection of questions that have been emailed in and asked across our social media accounts. So thank you to everyone who sent questions in. And then, like I've said, people who are still climbing to get through into the live lounge tonight. It's wonderful to see so many people coming through. It's obviously a topic on your hearts and something you're very interested in. Then feel free to type in there and, and I will put them to the panel as and when is possible. So with that in mind, I think we will bring up in no particular order our panel. I'm just going to click them to come up and then we will introduce them all to you on this episode, 168, The Changing Face of Qualifications, Who Can We Trust? You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Well, I think that was a fantastic entry, wasn't it? Is there, can everybody hear me? Can I hear you all? You certainly can. Right, great. Wonderful. Thanks, people. Um, I think the first thing to do, well, first of all, I've just got to say personally, thank you so much for giving up time to be here. Um, for people who aren't aware of who you are, which I'm hoping is quite a lot of you, because it's a waste of time, we want you to reach people who aren't aware of what you've done and what your role is and your experience is in education and validation and all the other things. So maybe 
if I just say your name, maybe you can introduce yourself. I mean, it's very tricky for you guys because you've all been in the industry for so long. But give it me a little rundown of who you are, what you do, and what your involvement is in education. Uh, maybe I'm just going around the clock here. So maybe Mike Grice, first of all. How are you, Mike? I'm good. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name's Mike, and uh, I run Movement Therapy Education. Uh, we've had a couple of different names over the years, but I've been uh, teaching um, fitness and therapy qualifications since... 2002 uh, qualified as a teacher um, back in 2006 2007 and um, I used to work at a college uh, teaching the uh, level two level three courses and level four then went to teach at a university uh, teaching on a sports therapy degree and um, during that time I've always run my own kind of CPD and then qualification courses that's me in a nutshell Magnificent. Thank you for keeping it so, so succinct. I um, appreciate that, Mike. I'm looking forward to hearing you. And again, thanks for coming <clears> on <throat> to join us tonight. Thank um, you. I'm going to bring up now again in no particular order. Um, let's bring up Anna Maria as Anna Maria looks as ready as ever. Hi, um, Anna Maria. I have been, um, I've been teaching since 2006. I used to teach from the local uh, college, um, iTech courses. Uh, both what used to be holistic massage and then uh, the sports massage. But I've been teaching the um, beta qualification through my own uh, school, the beta qualification since 2009, 2010, and also run CPD courses. And uh, my involvement in uh, education is I'm very passionate about vocational, uh, vocational education and trying to, to get that message across and do that by also being a guest lecturer to local um, University of Plymouth and uh, Exeter College where they run the BSc in sports therapy and I go a little bit around to bring that understanding of vocational um, training and also the benefit of touch and massage within uh, modern healthcare. I think I said it all yeah. I think you've got a lot of it in there. And I appreciate for all of you this. You've got such a massive, long, valuable story to me. So it's fairly cool of me to say, stick your life story in a minute. But thank you, Anna Maria. I look forward to again. Thank you for joining us as well tonight. Um, <clears throat> if we sound a bit croaky on the podcast, I just felt my throat go. We're, we're all involved in the health and fitness industry, but we're all kind of suffering on death's door at the moment. So sorry about that. It's just uh, the way it is at the moment. Uh, maybe it's the end of the world. Who knows? And we're also joined. I'm just checking. We've also got um, Susan Finley here. Um, who is uh, the director and senior lecturer at North London School of Sports Massage. But I think we're having a little bit of a technical problem at the moment. So while Susan is sorting that out, hopefully successfully at her end, I'll bring up um, Gary Benson. Hi, Matt. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, make me sound really old, this, but I've been a technical instructor in vocational training um, since my military days, going back to 1985. Uh, I actually qualified as an assessor in, in the mid-80s when it was D32 and D33. Um, I've been in the fitness industry assessing fitness qualifications for a, a number of years. I've assessed in the sports massage and sports therapy industry. I qualified academically as a teacher in 2007. Um, involved with all of these esteemed guests and, and that's why they Got, got the invite if you like I've spoken to them at length and I've worked with them all in various um, 
situations and have got the greatest respect and I value their opinion and hence they're, they're joining us this evening. Amazing. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for that. We look forward to hearing from you as well, obviously. And last but no means least, and I think um, without any technical problems now, hi, Susan. Yeah. Here here I'm back. I'm back. Um, Yeah, my name's Susan Finlay. I'm the director of North London School of Sports Massage. I run a bespoke course in sport and remedial soft tissue therapy. Um, I've been in the business about 25 years, I guess. Um, I've written courses, uh, worked with a number of accrediting bodies. I sit on the General Council of Massage Therapies, where we kind of work together with a variety of um, accrediting bodies and professional associations to develop the um, the various qualifications and what the NOS what putting it all together, what they mean, what's required, what makes a good course. Um, yeah, and I've been on uh, PSB on CNHC, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I've been around yonks, and uh, I hope I can add some value to tonight's um, um, question. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to delving more into that blah, blah, blah bit. It's definitely going to blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> all right. Now, I really appreciate you guys um, all coming along tonight. Obviously, it's it's amazing. I think it's, 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 I would use the word groundbreaking, which I don't use that, but also so important to have different people from across the industry with different projects and industries and different kind of education th- schemes put together with different accreditors because it's popular. It's a conversation that really is needed in our industry and i think maybe to explain why it's needed gary and to let us know about the work you've done in putting this together uh, maybe yeah give us a little intro on on why we do need this conversation yeah before i do that matt i'd like to say thank you to alex hall from the sports massage academy i had a, a very long conversation with him yesterday unfortunately couldn't make it to the panel discussion this evening um child um competing uh, commitments i also so invited and spoke to Ruth Duncan, who hopefully would have represented the Scottish contingent of, of, of people listening to this, uh, because the Scottish framework is slightly different to that in England, yeah. Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, so what I'm about to sort of say about course levels is, is based on the English, Welsh and Irish, Northern Irish model and not necessarily Scotland, but as a rule of thumb, if you add two to our levels, that roughly aligns to what they do in Scotland. Uh, that, but that is a rule of thumb. So I thought it'd be interesting to start with is to kind of give an explanation to what I perceive um, course levels to be. Um, and, and the easiest way to do that is to go through them numerically because everybody now talks about levels three, four and five and six, etc. So if I just give a brief in, insight into what qualifications mean to me, as an assessor um, and how I might assess people differently. So a level one course, they're hardly ever delivered um, presently. And that's just basically um, a knowledge-based course. So I give you some information um, and there's no checking of understanding. I'd give you the information, you go away, and that would be described as a level one course. A level two course builds on the knowledge and has an understanding uh, element to it. So I might deliver content and then check your understanding by way of a of a theoretical test a multiple choice question paper for example 
level three, and I am aware that at level two, there are some massage qualifications, but they're usually hand and arm massage and, and, and simple massage techniques. But level three is where we come in, and that's that's our current entry level. And this is what I hope to get to the bottom of this evening and, and in follow-up um, sessions. But level three really is about the application of a skill. Now, in our industry, that is the sports massage techniques. And um, if I was assessing somebody at level three, I would be assessing their ability to apply massage in a pre, post, inter or maintenance scenario. And going on from that, we have level four courses. And if we use Bloom's taxonomy, which is a, a descriptor for cognitive levels, they, they kind of align nicely with, with, with course levels as well. So level four would be uh, looking at analysis. And in our industry, that might be the muscle strength test. You do a movement screen, a postural assessment for the to get some objective data. It might be joint integrity testing, special testing, etc. So we're looking at analytics. We're looking at you getting a piece of information from which to clinically reason the treatment direction. So if I'm assessing somebody at level four, assuming I've already seen them applying the skills, I'm looking at how they decipher pieces of information, how they analyze pieces of information and how they move forward from that. If I'm assessing somebody at level five, I tend to move away from the practical setting for this. So I might not be assessing somebody uh, at level five in a, in a clinical environment, you know, with a, with a patient or client on the bed. I might be discussing the, the way that they um, synthesize the information they've got into a forward plan, whether that be a periodized training plan, whether that be a, a rehabilitation plan. And, and, and Bloom's taxonomy, as I've referenced, at level five, it used to be the, the synthesis skills, um, but it's been updated now. So the, the level five on the cognitive levels is, is about evaluation. That's, uh, that's making judgments uh, based on criterion standards and checking and critiquing. Uh, level six on the new Bloom's um, model is, is the creating, it's the putting the elements together to form a new coherent and functional whole. So what we're doing is we, we have in effect, if we use Bloom, we have actually reversed levels five and six. But, but in our industry, um, there are lots of people who deliver level five qualifications and they describe them as advanced soft tissue techniques. Now, to me, if you're applying an, a soft tissue technique, that's a level three skill. The level five skill, rather than being an advanced skill, it's an advanced understanding. It's the depth of knowledge uh, and the efficacy of, of, of applying that skill, when to apply it, how effective that is. Um, that is more the level five. So if you ever see a, a CPD course that's that's uh, advertised as level five CPD, to me, they don't exist mm -hmm. because level five was introduced back in round about 2000, 2001 with the inception of the foundation degree, which is roughly equivalent to the first two years of the degree. Now, if you look at the qualification guided learning hours from back then, it was 1200 hours for the foundation degree split over two academic years. We are now having you know, level five diplomas, advanced diplomas, various descriptions, but they're nowhere near that 1200 hours. And Susan and I worked at the GCMT going back, well, over a decade now. Um, and one of the first level five qualifications that came out was the VTCT. And we were all given a, a, a piece of glossy paper with the 
with the um, course outline on it. And the thing that stood out to me was at the bottom of the page, it said, on completion of the formal training, candidates will be expected to achieve 500 hours of supervised practice. And that was a very short statement. But in fact, it meant that where are these 500 hours coming from? Who is supervising it? Uh, and to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the on the RQF at the moment, the only level five qualification is the VTCT model. And Alex Hall was talking to me yesterday about why he uses the the regulated qualification framework, active IQ qualification for level three and four, but he doesn't agree with the the syllabus for the level five that's on the framework. And therefore he's deviated from that and he delivers his own in-house qualification. Um, but he uses that regulated qualification framework awards because let's say hypothesize that in 20 years Alex is no longer running his school he wants the qualification to be as valid in 20 years as it is now and so there is the safety net and we all know about premier training international from the 90s and the the noughties you know they were regulated qualification frameworks they had that fitness industry but there was also the premier training one in Alex's word which was printed from the premier training office printer now we look back and we rec we recognise those internationally sorry those regulated qualifications, but not necessarily the one that was produced on the in-house printer. So it will be interesting to in investigate this evening the different models. And 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 Susan and Anna Maria both represent the BTEC model, which I think has pluses and minuses, as with anything. Um, and and Mike's more in independent. You know, he's he's moved away from the, the the regulated qualifications that he used to deliver in the fitness industry, and he's looking now really for a, for a different model. So hopefully that's given an insight into what my view on qualifications is, and I'd be interested in in, in hearing other people's opinions. That's great. Just before we do that, because um, what's the implications of what you've said? on on therapists out there who are does it does that create some of the confusion of from therapists knowing why aren't i getting this job i'm a level five how come they're saying i have to do this is this is this kind of difference in what is a level five part of the reason for confusion and despondency amongst therapists well i mean if, you know if if we're honest and and those of you who know me well will know i'm very uncomfortable with commercialism and the commercial way that our industry is driven. But I understand that people who are educators need to make money, you know, to, so their schools are still here to deliver these qualifications. But, you know, if we go back to 2007, 2008, when the discussions around changing the qualification structure were, were first sort of around us, you know, there was a, the awarding bodies had you know, a level three award. Well, it wasn't a level three, it was a certificate or a diploma. And in my opinion, what happened was that when they introduced the level four, they watered down the level three to such an extent it became unfit for the for the purpose it was designed for. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it was a good or a bad course, but it, it, it wasn't what we what the industry wanted, if you like. Now, level five was then introduced thereafter. Now Awarding organizations can now sell three courses instead of selling one course. And that's the commercial aspect of it. And that's what I was uncomfortable with. I think the industry has come on board and used these numerical levels to it for a marketing advantage. You know, and you will see, and I know one of the questions later we'll discuss, Matt, is about level six awards. 
you know, on our framework, that's degree level. You know, there are apprenticeship degrees coming more and more apparent now. Uh, the first discussions I had then was actually UCB, where Mike used to work, going back about 10 years, they were talking about delivering apprenticeship degrees, which gives the academic background with the vocational skills. So, yeah, I think the industry's got a lot to answer for. I think the awarding organisation's got a lot to answer for with the numerical um, system that we use currently. Excellent. Right. The floor is open, people. You're feel free to speak oh uh, i put i did put some of you on mic because there was a little bit of echo in the background so let me just switch your mics off especially with the levels especially for vocational qualifications and this is something that i'm quite uh, i discuss quite often because i do think that when we accept uh, adult learners they already come to us with uh, a level five thinking processes that often a 19, 20-year-old might not. The way I, I say to them is, you know, what is a level five thinking? You know, when you choose to buy, um, let's say, when you choose to buy um, uh, insurance, you will do your research and you then put all the knowledge, you find what the evidence and you put all the knowledge and you create clinical thinking. So to me, for an adult learner, our needs as adult learners are a little bit different. So I think we are at an excellent time now to, to possibly reshape vocational training and vocational learning, but certainly moving away from thinking that the level three, level four, and level five is about techniques. So at level five, what techniques do you use? That's not what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I teach, uh, you know, somebody, people should be teaching pain science from a level three, from anything. In fact, our Initesta always says we should be teaching pain science at people that train for beauty therapy and spa. But it's the level in which we teach, we, you know, it will be different. So it's nothing to do with, with techniques. At level five, you don't, you don't learn different techniques and you will learn, you know, a level three. So you should be learning a level three. Jump in, people. I'm not going to say <laughs> who's got to speak now. I, I was I was going to say exactly the same. Um, I used to deliver back in 2006 the, the level three uh, the um, sports massage and the, <clears throat> the level four didn't exist at that point. And when it did switch, um, it was a clear um technique technique switch that that was all it was um so they we used to deliver on the level three um effroage petrissage and then strs and met's and then the str and met got moved to level four and became a level four technique and you couldn't do them if you were level three and um and and that's how it's become it's become um a technique based ladder rather than a um uh application of knowledge based ladder uh, and uh, we need to get back to the way it was. Yeah, what? Why shouldn't we be teaching those kind of uh, those kind of techniques to a level three? You know, because it's a demonstration of of a, of a skill. That that's all it is. They they don't need to um, rationalise anything with it. That comes in the higher levels. But you can certainly um, teach those those skills to uh, to a level three candidate. Um, and, uh, and, and that's where the marketing has come in and, uh, where people then feel that they have to go through level three, level four, level five and, and jump, jump through all the hoops. Um, and then on your question, Matt, about not getting jobs, um, that there was, I saw a question, um, question in the group earlier 
And uh, I, I think the problem there is with a, with a football club, um, even at uh, lo- lower level football clubs, the soft tissue therapy course at level five doesn't gear you up for working pitch side with um, with athletes. Um, it, not for injuries and assessments on the pitch side. That that's not what that course is for. But that's what the degree course is. So with the Society of Sports Therapists, you can only at Premier League level. If you want to work pitch side at the moment, it's. Um, I know Gary's been fighting it, but um, you have to do a BSc, um, and the BSc is geared towards working pitch side, and they do very. Um, very little soft tissue work so that there's all these disparities within the qualifications and and uh, we don't fully understand it ourselves so it's really hard when a football club is after a sports therapist who who do they choose they don't they have no idea what's included on the courses so it's um it's a bit of a mess <laughs> and uh yeah it it needs clearing up just just before Susan comes in, can I just address a couple of those points? And I know we were going to address these a little bit later on, but if you look at the scope of practice of the current level three, and I'm talking about insurability, it's it's pre-post intervent and maintenance massage, and I will add in commas with no remedial intent. Mm-hmm. Okay, level four is the remedial intent, so those skills that might you know identified you know they are still being delivered to if if you went to a university to do an osteopathy degree or a physio degree or a sports science or sports coaching there are level threes being delivered which is a a 15 year old qualification on the itech framework which only teaches remedial skills It, it it's a short course it used to be delivered in six days. It's now delivered in three, I believe, in some locations. Now, my concern is, and this is a worst case scenario, so I'm going to be devil's advocate. If somebody does a qualification at level three and they are accepted onto, let's say, a, a dry needling course as an example, and they inappropriately choose the wrong needle in the wrong direction to do trapezius and they cause a lung puncture, which was highlighted with, with Jill Scott. Okay, uh, the lioness recently. Now, if if that person then finds himself in a court of law, standing in front of a judge and having to defend themselves by saying, well, I've got a level three qualification and I've done a needling qualification. Well, the I guarantee that the insurance company will drop you like a stone because you're working outside of your scope of practice, which is the non remedial intent. So I think this is fundamentally what we need to do is to we need to rename. And before COVID, there were there were moves to there were plans to move the level three sideways to the fitness industry. And I spoke to several awarding organizations and providers. And my my idea at the time, if you like, and I'm not taking credit for this at all, but the discussions went along the lines of, you know, if you're going to there is a place for this level three course, you know, but it might be better suited to a fitness professional, a personal trainer who wants to add or replace one of their sessions with a massage for no remedial intent, then that's great. Mm-hmm. But don't call the type, don't call it a level three massage therapy because we're not therapeutic. You know, that's not our intent. So let's keep the therapy for level four and above. Um, 
my going on from that, I think it's appropriate if you've got a level four and you want to work pitch side, you can work autonomously at level four, level four with remedial intent. Go and do a pitch side trauma course instead of a level five if that's where you want to work. Mm -hmm. But if you want to work in a clinic doing soft tissue work, go and do your level five if you think it's appropriate. Do your due diligence on the trading provider. You know, check them out on company's house to see how long they've been trading to make sure their trading history is appropriate. And then <laughs> just finally, before Susan comes in, Mike mentioned about the degree. Well, I agree with much of what he said, but we have to consider, and, and I'm just making up towns, you know, and cities here. But if you go to Glasgow, you, your degree might be heavily weighted towards strength and conditioning if you go to cardiff it may be heavily weighted towards sports trauma if you go to london it might be heavily weighted towards soft tissue therapy so there's no standardization so what we have to do when we're looking for a course is decide where we want to work and choose the degree or the vocational training course which best meets our needs we can only do that if we talk honestly with the training provider mm -hmm. we do our due diligence thank you Right, I'm going to unmute um, Susan because I feel guilty half an hour and I've been muting Susan Finley. It's ridiculous. Let's unmute. Thanks, Thank Susan. you. Here I was pushing the button going thinking it was my problem no, that I was no, not me, able no, to unmute myself. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> I pretty much agree with uh, everything everybody has got to the table right now. Um, much I think much to my shame, I was part of that original uh, group as a consultant for developing level three, four, and whatever. Um, much to, oh, I wish I hadn't been there because I regret that. It's, you know, three, four, and five is a commercial element to it. And that's what it was originally um, formulated for. Um, because you can't separate out uh, uh, effleurage at level three, four, and five. These techniques, you know, you need to, like Henry said, you need to know about pain from day dot. You need to understand the, uh, the effects of all the different connective tissues that you're working with, etc., so it, 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 it's very hard to take this in, in this profession and divide it into a level three, four, and five. And then to, I don't know, it just kind of diminishes what we do. But, however, um, so with regards to, like, what we've done, by the way, we are no longer BTEC. We are now OCN. I have left BTEC for various reasons. Um, and, it, you know, I'm very pleased to say that what we've done is divided the course into module one, two, and three, which basically is fitting the needs of uh, both the employer, the client, and our therapists and what they're learning and how they're learning it, rather than calling it level three, four, and five. We amalgamate all the levels into every module, but we start from the beginning to give that underpinning knowledge you need to know to be able to work smartly and with a, an, a fair amount of knowledge, but we don't hit the remedial until you get into module two. So it's almost like I'm saying module two and three are four and five. 
in module one is level three, you could say, but it's not because we're introducing all the underpinning academic knowledge you need from the beginning. Yes. So I, I have a problem right off the bat with all these different levels, and that's why we've done a bespoke qualification. Um, so, yeah, I'm just looking at some of my notes that I'm writing here. The, one of my pet peeves at the moment, I would say, was it's 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 good that we're all trying to deliver courses of a good standard that uh, are safe and effective and, and meet the needs. However, anybody can rock up and, and do a, a minor course. And as long as the insurance companies continue to insure people who are not adequately qualified, anybody can go out there and do it and it underpins all the education. So, you know, I want to put it out there that you know, we really do need to get our, the insurance companies on board not to accept qualifications that don't meet the national occupational standards. Mm -hmm. Susan, I'll come back on that, if I may. We were going to discuss this later, but I have regular meeting with, with the Valence hierarchy. Okay, we've had uh, David Valen on, yeah. on the podcast to talk about justifying why they why they do that and again there's a commercial element and there yeah. are other insurance companies who will insure absolutely anything in the hope that the number of claims mm. that they have made doesn't exceed the number of premiums that they take but i, I apologize for misrepresenting you with the btec comment before um, no, but, no 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 that's okay that's new that is new but, yeah but what, what i was going to say was that you know we we've we've had conversations with with people like Walt Fritz, you know, a myofascial um, therapist, who who made a comment similar to what you did, you know, that you regret being in the situation that you were and being part of that process. You know, my argument is that, you know, yeah. when I was at GCMT, we made decisions based on the evidence base and the knowledge base at that time. And it was of that time. We have the luxury of reflecting on those decisions and how they might have influenced. And yes, we might have done things differently, but at the time we made the decisions and we, we consulted with those who we thought mm -hmm. were going to make changes at the time. So, you know, you don't need to apologize for that in my eyes at all. Um, the reason that, that you know, I, I referenced the BTEC one for yourself and Anna Maria is uh, and why I'm interested in it. I mentioned earlier about it has its pros and cons. Now, the, the, the pros is that, you know, that it, it, it adds value to a course because it's a recognized qualification. Um, they sit, they, you know, they are regulated. They sit on the qualifications framework at levels three and four, to my knowledge. I, I can't find any reference at level five or, or six is on BTEC, uh, but I may be wrong. But, you know, the thing that I like about the BTEC model and, and, and the OCN, I think I, I need to do some research on that, is that whereas the regulated qualifications, you know, if we wanted to make changes to the active IQ or the YMCA or, or any of the others, then the consultation period might be 18 months to two years. There might be a pilot, you know, to deliver the new information. The accreditation might last for three to five years. You know, so we, it's like the degrees. We're always playing catch up. We all, and, and there's a there's a reticence to, to move um, with the as the evidence base changes with the regulated qualifications, which, in my opinion, are 
designed commercially to deliver in further education colleges to a mass marketplace, knowing that the vast majority of people who achieve them won't work in the industry. Yeah. That's a fundamental flaw. But mm. the, what I like about the BTEC is that you can move with the evidence, you know, as the evidence informs us. That's the, that's the pro to it. The con to it is Matt and I, we could meet tomorrow morning for coffee. We could design a course about hairdressing. You know, we could go to BTEC and we could say we want this to be at level five. We could hire a hairdressing instructor and an assessor, prove competency for 12 months or whatever their time scale is and have direct claim status. So that by this time next year, Matt and I could be running a hairdressing school. But I don't think it's got the external validity checks that, that are appropriate for our industry. Even though we are relatively low risk in in this industry, you guys too experienced for me to ask you to speak. There must be something on your mind. I mean, there's a, there's a question here which is kind of tied into it. I mean, I think the insurance companies have got a massive role to play. I think, and I'm far less learned and experienced than you guys. But what I see is a lot of emails and comments and social media. If a therapist sees they can get insured, they're going to deliver what they can get insured on. Because that's the that's only right. thing that really interests them. So there's a question mm-hmm. here from Anne Cochrane of ARC Massage Therapy. Thanks for sending in, Anne, who says, who and how will insurance companies take their guidance on what qualifications are acceptable? Will partnerships between insurers and professional organizations be even more key in future? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are they guilty? Are they a, a fairly large cog well, in the I, problems I, I, that we face? Or should they be more scrutinous? I think what, what we have to do, Matt, we, we have to look at the insurance companies as a commercial element. We have to also look at them as being not occupationally competent at all of the modalities that they insure. Mm-hmm. So it's really important. And my conversations with, with the managers at, at Valens are to make sure that they've got my opinion because, you know, I founded the STA. I've negotiated the STA affinity scheme and it's categorical in that it won't insure, you know, level three um, massage therapists with the new qualification, not necessarily the old one to do remedial techniques. You know, I'm hoping that all of the other associations who have the similar affinity schemes are dictating to to Balans what they want in their affinity scheme. This, leads, no this leads on to an interesting follow-up question. Sorry, continue. Go on. But yeah, there's, there's, there's no regulation. So, you know, I, I put on my website the courses I won't accept. The Distance Learning College, for example. You can do a... a, a, a it's an information repository with outdated information. You can do 10 assignments and you can be a sport, have a sports injury diploma. Okay. Now they say it's insurable. Well, it is because they've got their own insurance company. So where is the, where is it's a conflict of interest? You know, if, if I'm delivering a course, I'm assessing the course, I'm awarding the the award, I'm representing people in the Mm -hmm. industry and I'm providing them with the insurance where is the safety checks? Mm-hmm. It's a complete conflict of interest. I, as the leader of the STA, feel strongly that I shouldn't be in education because I, all I do is provide membership support. I don't want to sell courses. I'm not interested in the financial gain from doing that. I'm independent and, and I can wholeheartedly, if anybody rings me up, I can recommend the panel members you know, as respected training providers. And I can do that ethically and morally without feeling any guilt because i'm not profiting from that mm-hmm. some people profit from their recommendations so a full-on question that leads from that from Anne, and it and i'll open this up to the rest of the floor once i just get this one out is we've all kind of gone yeah 
the insurers need to pay more attention to the associations and organizations and the communication needs to be better. Should I be granting people the permission to do this? And But then Anne Cochrane follows up with, do you think it's possible? Because for that to happen, we all need to, all the associations and organizations need to be kind of giving the same message. Otherwise, the insurer will just go to the organization that says, yeah, definitely insure, they'll be fine. So is it possible that we can achieve standards across the industry across professional organizations because Anne points out and I think it's quite a valid point she says if I remember correctly even trying to align around COVID guidance was a big challenge so has that demonstrated it's not as easy yeah can I give the same message over to you Susan yeah definitely yeah um that was one of the reasons for the formation of GCMT the General Council of Massage Therapies we have about 19 PA sitting uh, around the table and, and my goodness them. having that many around the table I mean I can't believe we have that many PAs in such a really a small industry in some ways mm-hmm. but we do and this is part of what they do is they all get together right code of conduct what the the levels of qualification should be etc and the standards in which all these courses should meet and and it's trying to disseminate out there that this is what the courses should in, uh, have a minimum of uh, to be able to deliver that meets those national occupational standards and so you know yeah I agree with you it's got to come across the board everybody's got to be talking from the same quote hymn sheet um, otherwise there is going to be that sort of budding of, um, uh, you know, com- commercialism coming into that. And I must admit, and uh, Gary is, um, he, he's had history of this, but I do find that there could be a real separation of uh, various um, uh, parties, PAs and schools, et cetera, they should not be knitted and close together. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with Gary. I object to uh, uh, any organization having multiples or they have their own insurance, their own PA, their own school, et cetera, because they're going to be biased. Mm-hmm. I, I think what <laughs> this question, Matt, really needs its own, its own show. Um, and, and I think what we need to do is, and, and I'm going to speak to, you know, colleagues from the industry and try and get, you know, a similar panel discussion based on representation and regulation, because as mm. I mentioned, we're not we're not a regulated industry. Susan mentioned there are 19 PAs. There's obviously 20 because I'm not at the GCMT for, for my, my reasons, which Susan knows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's more. Yeah, FHT is not there. Yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah. But, you know, you don't have to join an association. So even though there are 20 plus associations, okay, there are probably 100,000 therapists who are not members of an association. They can all get insurance and they will not be governed or regulated in its soft form by their professional association. So they they don't have to do CPD. They don't have to keep up with evidence base or evidence information. They don't have to adhere to a code of conduct. And the sorry thing is that if one of my members, you know, breaks our code of conduct, the only option that I have available to me is to revoke membership. I can't, I'm not able to 
tell the GCMT that this person's not fit to practice because they've done this, that or the other. So we can't send an industry wide message, you know. So if they leave, if, if they are forced to leave the STA or any of the other organizations, they can go to somebody else and they can get the same level of accreditation. I'll just come back on Gemma's question there. Why do we have different organizations and associations? Why can't they collaborate? Well, we, we have them, and, and I am part, I'm guilty of, of, of starting the STA because I was unhappy with the way that I was represented. You know, and, and I thought that the STA could be a better support network and a better community of like-minded people. And instead of being commercially driven of how we can get more mem how we can get more money from our members and do less for them, it's about how cheap can we make our membership but still provide a really robust support network where I am fully accountable to the membership. Anna Maria, you had your hand up. Get in there, go on. Oh, hold on. Let me take your mute button off. Three, two, one. Vale. Thank you. Um, just going to go back to a couple of points um, about conflict of interest. Until we do have a centrally regulated system, I do not think it's actually... Uh, until we have a centrally regulated system, I think... I, I don't see a big problem be having... Uh, like somebody with their own qualification and running their own professional association because actually things bias can happen and conflict of interest can happen. This is not the problem. The problem is when we do not keep them under control. So if the system is organized really, really well, you can actually have the tune. The problem is there is no a baseline for good organizations. So if you look how businesses in general are run, you can have those conflicts. You can have, as long as you declare those conflicts of interest, as long as there are other members on the board of the qualification of the professional association that keeps those um, conflict of interests Bay. And I think that that is quite important. So I do not see a big problem in terms of education and business being together. Um, in fact, sometimes I do think it's, it's, it's a good thing because actually we can be driven. Uh, sometimes you can be driven also by, um, uh, you know, financial can sometimes drive and financials are not necessarily unethical. So that's something that I was really, really keen to get in. The other thing that I think is it's quite important to uh, we comes back a little bit to, to what Kari said at the beginning, something that I want to pick up on. It's about the division between remedial. Gary said about remedial. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. I said something about remedial and, and I think something that I want to go back to discuss, which is I think we need to start differentiating those professions between leisure and healthcare. Because actually at level three, we do not have the clinical and critical thinking strategies and knowledge to actually provide what Gary calls remedial. And I think that's where we need to start differentiating because once we say actually we are healthcare, then some responsibility, both at school level, syllabus level, 
professional association level that comes into place. But until we start differentiating that, because a level three, just because they can do certain things, it doesn't mean they should be doing them, i.e. the uh, acupuncture thing. So I think we need fundamentally, our professionals change it fundamentally, we need to rethink it from ground zero. Sorry about my doubts. That's okay, you're you're forgiven. Look, I mean, I think one thing we've definitely made quite clear is this there was no way this was ever going to fit into an hour but um i do want to make sure that we address some of the questions Mm -hmm. because the people in the live lounge are the real therapists who you know just the same as we should listen to our clients and what they want and that's part of kind of evidence-informed practice we should be listening as well to the people in here who are asking us questions so there's lots more we could say but i just want to address some of the questions in here i think i mean tracy marsh is the question that needs to be answered Mm -hmm. i'll bring it up on the screen um how do you know how good a course is you know, that's like, it's true. <laughs> how do you answer that? I mean, she says even BTEC courses seem very different in their approach and syllabuses. How do we know how up-to-date course content is going to be, e.g. looking in EBP? And that's true. How does somebody out there know? What, what do they go by? Is it word of mouth or is there nothing they can really look up or the, this, advice for them? Um, this is something that's really affected um, my company um, being independent um, because, I um, because it's... Um, Accreditation is seen as the um, uh, as a as a commercial um, uh, kind of um, entity really to help push a course. So if it's accredited, it must be good, uh, and that's that's really tough um, as an independent because we get that rammed down our throats. Like, well, you're not accredited. Why should I do your course? And um, we we follow exactly the same NOS. We've got exactly the same quality control procedures because I've done it. I've done it before when I when I used to teach for uh, for other organisations. And I've set up my company so that we follow all exactly the same thing. I can't come out. The bit that's uh, the bit that's different is um, is our content uh, delivery and what what we've had to what we've been able to do because we are independent is. Um, uh quickly nope. quickly change the the uh, qualification so that it meets the needs no, I am. Of, of the sports therapist now um i am to, oh so, someone just trying to meet some people there there you go <laughs> yeah so um I, and and that was one of the reasons i left um teaching accredited courses because i wasn't able to pivot that quickly and the the worksheets that my learners had to do through accredited qualifications and some of the practical exams that they had to do, um, they were um, they were completely out of date. And um, I was saying this to the award and organisation and there was nothing I could do because that was the assessment. And I had to assess based on the assessment criteria. Uh, so that's why I moved away. But then that is then used as a bit of a stick um, because the accreditation is seen as this gold standard when sometimes it's sometimes it is and sometimes you get some excellent courses that are accredited sometimes you get some really poor courses that are accredited and um and then the same is true for independent courses as well sometimes you've got some really good ones and sometimes you've got some really poor ones so it's it's really really tough i think um in terms of how do you know and who uh, what do you do I think um, you need to speak to the organisations. Uh, that uh, that's what I would do, and uh, have a real uh, good uh, uh, do your research. Have a chat with uh, lots of different people, 
and and then decide on the kind of course that you want to go and where you see yourself and is that going to bridge that gap to get you there uh so it's um yeah it's bit, we've we've had a number of other um training organizations that are accredited who have um belittled our course because it's not and um uh, and yeah I d- i'm obviously not going to say who <laughs> but um yeah it's been it's been a real challenge um being independent i guess i guess i i know it doesn't help you or your business whatsoever and i must feel ridiculous saying it but there's a little bit of flattery there if they feel they need to be belittling you i mean that doesn't help you at all but the fact they're getting yeah. in there going oh discrediting you kind of suggests oh they're getting some people now they're you know so that it 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 does i mean i i say this to the uh to the guys that deliver the course for me if if people are doing that then um in a way that is a good thing um because they're thinking about what we're doing and um uh they're obviously yeah they're obviously looking at, at what we're doing and and it's a, become a bit of a threat um but equally where you know a learner that is going to that company and then a learner coming to our company and then they're getting that from the other organization um what is that learner to believe you know they're thinking mm. what what the hell is going on and uh, and that that's really um it's really quite poor sometimes <laughs> okay. well, let's go around the panel then with that same question what advice would you give in kind of like 60 seconds which is never realistic but to somebody who says how the hell do i know what course to pick do you just say well pick mine we offer courses as well that's a bit dodgy obviously but anna maria over to you let's go around the circle how what would your advice be to someone who says this is all so confusing for me. What course should I pick? Yes. So I, when people call us, uh, I always say, when you go and have a look at other, other trading providers, ask them first, uh, what is how up-to-date with current evidence they are and how quickly they get up-to-date Speak to one of the tutors and what is their understanding of what is the client, uh, um, not the client, so, yeah, what are the, the client needs uh, and what are do what do they teach? How do these two match? So what are the occupational competencies? And and then um, very often I refer them to the STA and say well, to them, "Go and speak to Gary." That's what I was plumping for there. Yes, but I always say to them, you know, don't look. You know, you don't have to come with us. We are quite expensive. Just go and find others if you want to. But this is the question that you want to be asking. How do you know that those tutors, because again, for many years, I thought a qualification, you know, I thought the qualification, but actually I was teaching uh, fairly different from the, um, what do you call it, the marking criterias. So, you know, the marking criterias were one, and I was teaching more up-to-date because I feel as a tutor, a tremendous responsibility doesn't matter what my qualification says. So, so you kind of, uh, you know, my mismatch, but this is at least I can sleep well at night. But mm-hmm. I always ask them, how up-to-date are they of what they are teaching, not only in terms of evidence in form, but up to date to what the clients might need. And so, and then as I say, as to Gary. Brilliant. Okay. And I'm just conscious of time. So, Susan, yeah, what do you do? Somebody says, I don't know what course to choose. What, what am I supposed to do, Susan Finley? Well, I kind of ask them, uh, what, why are you coming into this industry? What is it that you want to get out of it? Where do you want to see yourself going? Um, you know, do you want to fix people or is this going to be more of a hobby thing? Um, I, I 
generally to, to tell people to um, do their research, go look at the website, look at the language and how they uh, that person or that website speaks to you. Is there, in essence, something that resonates with you? Is there a future with that organization? You know, what do they actually offer? Is the care just the course or is the care ongoing? So we, we get a lot about what makes us different from others. Um, I just wanted to point out one thing to Mike. Uh, we really uh, considered not being accredited anymore. So I do definitely uh, empathize and resonate with you about not having an accreditation because I think that has a lot to do with commercialism. Mm -hmm. And if your reputation is really good, you'll get on, mm -hmm. you know, that it's plain and simple. You'll get on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's tough. I've, I've been in that scenario where people have um, spoken ill of uh, my course, but, you know, and it's hard, but, mm -hmm. You have a really good reputation, so you will get out, out of that. You'll do well. Thanks, Eden. Right. Gary, you had your hand up as well, moving around the circle. Yeah, so just on that point, the reason that, that I've spoken to our esteemed guests and Alex and, and Ruth is because I have no you know, qualms about recommending them because I know that the journey is an ongoing one. They're not just trying to sell a course and none of the three guests there have sold their course particularly well there because they're not salespeople. They're passionate about the industry. But there are a few points I want to make. The first, there's a lot of questions in the, in the chat. Mm. Uh, Gemma and Ivan, book a call with me and I'll explain it to you. I don't think level five needs to be the minimum, Gemma, and I'll explain my reasons why. Um, Ivan, 65% of people within 18 months don't work in the industry on a level three sports massage course. 95% is the industry average after five years. So you can see there's a massive drop off and I think that fundamentally needs to change. Uh, Anna Maria mentioned the level three courses earlier. We have to differentiate. One of the major professional associations after COVID distanced themselves from level three therapists. I think there is a place for level three therapists. We have to differentiate between the old qualification, which has the remedial skills, and the new one, which is pre post interim maintenance massage. Um, I am working on, um, and I've said this before, a way of maintaining contact with our level threes but my advice is level four will should be the minimum contact uh, min, minimum uh, standard for entry into the remedial industry the the massage for performance leisure industry fitness industry not bothered with that I that's not my bag level i i honestly <laughs> i really support what susan said before because this is how also we run our courses it's integrated. Yes, even on day one, we might start with a level, module one, we might start with some level three. But actually, sometimes you do level three with integration or level five clinical thinking. So we, we have the opportunity now to clear this mess and actually possibly create something completely different that fits what the clients need. Sorry. Yeah. And my final point was about accreditation is not a mark of a standard. Uh, you know, accreditation is a commercially run entity designed to add value to the course. And don't believe everything you read on the Internet. You know, 
I, I read through course blurbs and it says, you know, it'll say regulated qualification. Well, it's not, but the training might training provider might have one regulated qualification, but they're using smoke and mirrors to bamboozle the public to pay them, in essence, for 12, 1500 quid for a piece of paper that's achieved in a day with a bit of online learning. Mm-hmm. You have to think of education with our esteemed guest exception. Education has become like passing your driving test. The instructor teaches you the route, the skills that are required for the exam so that you can pass it. The real learning starts when you go out on the car on your own. And the real learning in our industry starts when you go out with those clients on your own. Fantastic. So there's uh, yeah, definitely a few messages there. We will. I think one thing will be interesting to come from this is we'll try and put together without giving anybody any work, we'll, we'll try and put through some key answers, some principles on, on on these themes of recommendations or what to look out for. Like you said, don't worry too much about validation. It might just be a bit of smoke and mirrors. We'll put some together and we'll, we'll, we'll put that out with the show notes. For STA members, we'll upload it, obviously, to the STA. Or maybe oh, here's revolutionary. We'll make a document that gets shared between different associations with the same words on it. Imagine that. First time ever. We get the same words on a document in different organisations. Mark, the whole reason we do this podcast and we don't put it behind a paywall is because what we're saying is for the value of the industry, for the advantage yeah. of the industry, not not our members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm accountable to my members, but I'm willing to put my neck on the block for non-members. So if they want to, if they want to phone me up or send me a Facebook message to STA Gary – I'll answer their questions. I won't try and sell them anything because I'm not in this for the money. I'm in this because I'm an educator and I want standards to be high. Definitely. And I think that's probably the sign of a good association as well. Because if what Anna Maria was saying, in an ideal world, yes, we'd have we'd have a um, a professional association or representative who also does courses, but they're not just saying, "Oh, you want to do that? Well, here's one for you. We want to do that. Mm. We do this as well." In an ideal world, we'd have people, you know, like everyone who's on this panel who could have the integrity and and to do that and to say well to tell you the truth my course might not be the one for you from what you've told me like susan was saying Mm -hmm. like the patient isn't it ask them enough questions and they'll Mm -hmm. tell you what course they need it's exactly the same sort of thing Mm -hmm. but so that might be one of the things that goes on the list if you ask the question they tell you straight away this is the course for you and they haven't really asked you about you, your goals. Where are you working by yourself? Are you with a team? Where do you see yourself in five years? What have you done before? You know, it's the same as telling a client when they walk in, oh, it's because your shoulders one higher than the other without asking them how they're sleeping, what their diet's like, how they got periods, all these questions. It's the same way. It's interesting how therapists are being treated like poorly treated patients by a lot of these organizations they're just being told what they need without any kind of subjective mm-hmm. at all so anyway that was a bit of a ramble for me but anyway i'm conscious of the time and i know you guys have probably got important relaxing to do before tomorrow <laughs> starts uh, probably some of you haven't got relaxing you've probably got marking or, or things to write so i really appreciate you all giving up your time um really appreciate it like gary said there were some people who sadly couldn't be with us this evening who were initially interested but life got in the way there was other people who didn't get back maybe or other people who just didn't reply but the fact you guys got together and made time is is really cool and 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 if anyone's listened to podcast and they want some inspiration then obviously any of our speakers here are the people to talk to because they're the ones who turn up and aren't afraid to speak out loud so Mm -hmm. you've got four people here i don't want to include myself but four people here who are worth following and listening to if you're looking for advice in this industry so um any anybody want to say anything else for i feel guilty closing this down with four people like you here but what i would thank you for having me (laughs) that's that's a pleasure thank you for coming along 
what what I would say, Matt, is you've done yourself a disservice there. You are, you know, yeah, part I know. Of this industry. I was just being more. You do true. you yeah. do referee as well. You you ask appropriate questions, you know, with integrity. So without this, you know, without your skills, we wouldn't be able to sit here and ramble. Oh, that's very kind. It's one good of teamwork. the best educators, teamwork. Teamwork. one of the best educators around you, are Matt. Absolutely. But my gate analysis course might not be the best one for you, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah, check it out. But it might not be. There are other, there are other, actually, there's no other decent gate analysis course. Actually, no, that's another, that's another series we'll go down. Anyway, so thank you very much, people in the thank live you. lounge. People in the live lounge, I've been watching your frustrations and your <laughs> I mean, I just want to check. Um, uh, Gemma, I hope you're okay. I mean, you were firing off like multiple five or six questions there. Definitely book that contact call with Gary as soon as you can, please. Um, because messaging him now, messaging now, <laughs> because I've been really keeping an eye on the questions coming out there. Where is this live lounge? What, what am I missing? Can you not something? see the comments in the side there? You might not be able to see them. Um, oh yes, I can see the comments there. Yes, they're, they're probably for me. They're the most interesting. No, that's not. That's a lie. They are. They're a really valid part of tonight's show because I can see the frustration in the questions. Yeah, and let's the, make you know, a document. So I will pay attention to them. I'll probably copy them and send them on a bit of paper to everyone. So we will pay attention to all of them, I promise you. Um, and we thank you for putting those questions and your feedback out there, even if we, if we didn't address them directly. Um, Susan's also, gone. Yeah, Susan's uh, Matt, gone. Can, can I just answer Inga? She really was finding the right courses as she had to earn the money to spend on CPD and also somehow live off it while not ruining my hands. Inga, send me a message to STA Gary. STA membership at 60 quid includes all your CPD. You don't have to spend money on going on courses if you don't want to. Well, actually, every now and again, <laughs> the problem that we are having, and I say that to my, to the, the problem we're having, that like, is exactly what Mike was saying before. So people are joining those corporate courses, online courses, because it's cheaper, mm-hmm. we are the ones who actually are doing the really hard work. Yeah. And we are literally, we are businesses. And to us, one extra student makes a difference. So anybody that just, you know, even if you make a, a put a, a, a review or, you know, one of the CPD helps us because actually, you know, it, it, Yes, we are businesses. God forbid we earn money to eat. So to <laughs> God forbid yeah. we earn money to eat. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, I'm not That's beautiful. Anna I Maria. Love I love it. Anna Maria, I'm putting you a food parcel in the post. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there will be a link in the show notes for feed Anna Maria. Yeah, um, I'm joking. You know, it's, no, I've, it's I've seen that so much now that people just buy those online courses. And I know. Yeah. You know, and, and you think, Oh my God. And then we have to undo the people that calls me. They come to me. And sometimes I kid you know, I got they choke me because I oh my God, you spend so much unnecessary money. And you haven't got even the basic skills to be able to cater mm-hmm. for, for a client. I mean, those people it just to me it's criminal. To me, it, it's absolutely criminal. Absolutely criminal. But anyway, yeah. Definitely. And we didn't even touch on FOMO, which I think is a big thing as well, that fear of missing out. You know, the other person's done it down the road. I've got to do it. You know, and sometimes, oh, you know, I rate me most of all, we've got to shut down soon, is where you see these courses and I, and they've got so many likes. And I'm sure they invent half of the comments on these Facebook. Oh, no, yeah. It was an amazing course. Thank you so much. I've learned so much. Oh, I've never, all my runners have never got injuries anymore. I'm sure they just make these out with something. Somebody and put just them out said, there. It's oh, yes, the course and I am on a what do you call it, on a waiting list uh, on the second course. So they're running three or four a year yeah, and all sure. of them are fully booked. And I thought, 
I must be doing something really wrong, you know, <laughs> something really wrong. But lots of my therapists, most of my therapists, I'm still in practice. So that's anyway, people, as you see, our guests really need to get away tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you very much for all coming in. Uh, just before we do shut down, you guys don't go away. Um, just so I can thank you properly in about 30 seconds. But everyone who joined us the live lounge, thank you again. Really appreciate it. All your comments. And there will be a part two. There's bound to be. You try keeping these people off the screen. It'd be impossible. We've got so much more to tell you and help you and support you with. But next week in episode 169, which is going to be recorded live on Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel, we return to our countdown to Therapy Expo 2023. And we'll be bringing you speakers who are not just in the STA theatre, but in the other theatres as well. So next week, uh, talking about great, great educators, my guest will be Angela Jackson will be back. Um, who will be starting off day two of Therapy Expo for us at 9, 10 a.m. with our presentation, How to Integrate Neurocognitive Approaches into a Rehabilitation Setting. If you don't know about Angie Jackson, you can look up previous episodes on the podcast. Um, a ma magnificent educator, particularly if you're working with other female athletes or young athletes. Brilliant. Just check her out. She'll be with us next week. So if you want, if it is the podcast and you want to join live, hang out in the live lounge, mix, ask questions, then all you've got to do is go along to Sports Therapy Association podcast, uh, sorry, YouTube channel, and join us there. That's it. Once again, thanks to our speakers on the panel tonight. Thanks Thank all you. for listening. And yeah, look out for each other. Take care of each other. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.